podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that normally brings you untapped business ideas from successful founders. Today's episode is a little bit different. Ethan and I are celebrating 100 episodes of recording. I wish we had like a clap track or something at that point. I think that would be appropriate. Oh, well. Yeah, champagne bottle popping is uh, is what yeah. I was thinking, but you know, to each their own. This is actually take two of us trying this out. We've um, behind the curtain a little bit here. You can peek behind the curtain. Um, it's your it's, still... it's it's everybody's own curtain. Their their internet sucks every once in a while. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's dealing with it, but uh, you know that you kind of have this uh, glorified view of this picture perfect, everything going perfectly, and 100 episodes in, we're still figuring it out. Appreciate you being along for the ride. We're going to talk about a few things that are going wait, on. Wait, I know the listener. Uh, the listener right there was like, "These guys are not far from perfect." <laughs> that's the, yeah, I know. That's probably true. That's part of our charm, really. That's, that's part that's of the our, appeal. Exactly. I mean, that's what I'm going for. I mean, so here's <laughs> yeah. the thing. I, I, I mean, in actuality, I'm 100 percent perfect. But for the podcast, I need to like tone it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No know, one can. Act. No one wants to deal with that, right? It's called uh, relatability. Relatable. <laughs> Exactly. So our podcast producer, Ari, she pushed us to do this partially because we have gotten some feedback that listeners would like to get to know us a little bit better. Mostly Chris's mom wants to get to know him a little bit better. Why don't you call? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to make a dark joke about how my mom doesn't actually love me. (laughs) So what's going on with me? I'm going to start off talking about something I'm super excited about. We're going to be having another baby in September. And Chris and Ethan are having a baby. <laughs> I know. It's going to be this, got to make the hair reference. It's going to be this long haired, kind of like Puerto Rican skin toned. <laughs> uh, my wife and I are expecting our second child in early September. A lot of changes that we anticipate with that. Hopefully not going to be as nerve wracking. It doesn't appear to be as nerve wracking as the first child, but I am super excited. I'm going to be hiring someone full-time. This is going to be my first full-time hire for my marketing consulting agency. And um, yeah, I'm pumped for it. I'm pumped to take a lot of this work off my plate, a lot of the operational stuff. I am using the the uh, guys at Tropical MBA, their service, Dynamite Jobs, to do this. It's a um, hiring service. It's you know, a decent bit of, of coin to put up front to have someone else do this hiring for you. But their pitch is they distill your work down to six hours or so from their estimate of 30 to do a new full-time hire. But yeah, if you're interested in learning more about that position, it's a remote marketing operations manager. You can visit engineeredagency.com slash about dash us, and you can find some details. You'll find the link to the job posting it's basically going to be my right hand person. It was cool posting the job. I was thinking about what kind of work environment that I would want to aspire to myself. Cause oftentimes you, you have this vision of what you want work to be like, and you don't check in on that regularly and you just kind of go along with the flow. And there's some interesting benefits that I put in there. Like every other Friday off working full time, every other Friday off thinking about how much vacation I would want someone to have. And I, started out with four weeks, which that's 
decent for a full-time employee who is probably earlier on in their career. So you um, actually nice going to treat them as an employee uh, with like W-2s and stuff or just calling it that and they're a contractor? How are you doing Yeah, it's that? a full-time contract position. I was thinking about that. The W-2 thing is, I'm, I was open to the W-2. The Tropical MBA guys said that it's probably not going to dissuade people to go the contractor route. And honestly, I'm trying to go fast here because of the baby. So if someone came back and said that they really wanted that W-2 position, then I'd be open to it, but unless someone is really asking for it. Well, from my experience, I have to say, trying to do W-2s versus contractor was a lot bigger of a headache. I just decided not to even do it because it's not just, oh, you know, do you have a commitment? It's like, oh, there's like paperwork and there's regulations and there's insurances and there's different types of taxes. It just, I, I, at least that's been my experience of having someone as an employee. It can just become mounds more busy work and extra expenses. So the question that I have about that is if someone is a de facto full-time employee for you, mm -hmm. if they're working 40 hours a week, let's say, yeah. does the government just see Yeah, you can get sued that? basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's now that we have like this gig economy, I mean, if you look at like Uber, right, I think they've been through a lot around that, right? Oh, you got these people and basically Ubering has become their job. And so is it fair to call them a contract worker? Do you have to treat them like an employee? I mean, that, that's that been, I don't know if it's in the news today, but it's been in the news in the past, you know, five or 10 years, let's say. So, you know, I think that the world's changing. So it's a little bit tough. I've definitely been on the edge of that with the, with the different work that I do. Like I, I tend to have people that are on a team with me. They have flexibility. They have a lot of flexibilities, a lot of places where they can choose, you know, what they want to do. Um, but they do sort of feel like they're on yeah, a member of the company, right? Like they represent the company. They feel like part of that team. And so, you know, the thing that in all honesty, you have to be, you just have to I won't use the word half because, you know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Anybody can do whatever they want. But the things that people tend to, you know, want to be aware of and the people that track these things very closely are going to say, yeah, at least take a close look at, you know, where the lines are drawn. You know, if you want to get into the details of court cases and decisions and stuff like that, some of it actually, I think it's a lot, I think it's a lot easier case to make if they're remote and they don't come to a location. There's some, and it's not like physical work because there's some like insurance things. Like I know, for example, as a piano tuner, tuning for, let's say like, like Vice Media's offices in New York City, right? I'm pretty sure that that was one of the cases where they needed somebody to come in and they had a piano there and they needed it tuned. I make you fill out this paperwork and sign it that says, hey, I am not an employee of Vice. I am independent. And you have to show them that you have like insurance and all these things. And I think a lot of it is the liability. Like there's uh, like if somebody gets injured, I think, right? And then it looks like they're your employee, but you're not calling them an employee. They can maybe come after you and say, hey, like I was a de facto employee. So 
they owe me some money or some compensation or whatever. I don't know. So that's a scary. <laughs> and we could tell yeah, her to cut any and all of this if we want. No, well, I think, I think it's interesting the, the balance between choosing that when you're starting out. You shouldn't be able to define their hours, I don't even believe. Yeah, if, so if that was uh, exactly where I was going to go yeah. with it is in talk with our mastermind group, I brought up this, this posting and I mentioned that it's going to be a 980 schedule where you're working nine hours, Monday through Thursday and eight hours, every other Friday. And both Randy and James were turned off by that. They're like, I, I would never apply for something like that. If I were looking for a job because right. remote work is, you know, let's be honest, we're working probably four hours a day. And the rest of the time, you're kind of like doing administrative type stuff or hanging out or whatever. So and I think that's going to be the case here. I'm calling it a full-time job, but I am, I'm honestly grappling with it. I wanted to originally do a part-time position posting, but I was advised by the tropical MBA guys that we'd get higher quality candidates if I did full-time. Mm, got it. Yeah. That's interesting. But I'm kind of curious because I, I don't know how much time it's going to take them. I'm not monitoring them. I'm not going to, I don't want that type that responsibility. Of, yeah. yeah that responsibility. I want someone who's auton who's going to autonomously work hard and get the right things done. And if that only takes them a few hours a day, all but the you're going to, you're going to try to pay them on a, a retainer, like a, like a monthly or yeah, basically fee, not, a retainer, not an hourly thing where they track their hours and then submit them to you or something. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think that it's uh, I don't charge my clients by the hour mm -hmm. and I don't think that it would be fair for me to, it's not aligned for me to do something different than I am, you know, doing to my clients. This leads into another idea that I've been thinking about a lot is just buying more time in general, something that we've talked about in the past, but uh, I'm trying to get over this hump of if there's something that I can do to pay someone else to do it. And I haven't gone so far as to pay someone to mow my lawn, though pretty much all my neighbors do that. But yeah, like minor electrical work. I'm trying to, every time I go to you the mow your own lawn. I know. What kind of plebe am I, right? I don't have one of those. I, I really want one of those. A robot robots. Yeah. That, that accidentally uh, runs over your foot and cuts off your toes or something. Yeah. That's probably <laughs> a bad idea given, uh, given my kids running around in the yard. But um, that's something I'm excited about. What, what do you have going on? Yeah. What's going on with me? Well, um, I've been doing this other podcast, which has been interesting. It's kind of... I, I realized that I have basically... I've got like multiple podcasts. <laughs> I'm basically just like a 24 hour podcaster. I've got this thing that I do on the weekends, uh, which is uh, like, a, like basically like a radio show turned zoom call for, you know, piano nerds. And that's, that's interesting. Uh, but it's kind of like a podcast. I, I published a few episodes as a podcast, but, um, but, but not all of them. And then uh, I do a meeting every Monday, which is for podcasters, right? Like a couple of folks get together and we, we bring in guests that like know something about podcasting and pick their brains. And um, that's not released as a podcast, but it very much feels a lot like any session we would do. I record it, put the recordings in a little member area for some folks. And, uh, and then this, you know, uh, the run with it. And then this other thing that got started, this edge of NFT podcast, that thing's like, because of the sort of you know, the big explosion in tech right now in that that's been really interesting ride so far. So just how many hours a week would you say that you're spending on these podcast related projects? Oh, all of them, all hours. <laughs> no, seriously. Would you say like 
15 hours. It's funny because it's a really interesting question, right? Because actually one of my uh, one of my partners on the podcast, you know, he's like, I'm spending this much time on this the podcast. How much are you spending? And and I was like, hmm, oh, that's interesting. Like, I don't even think of my time in hours. Sometimes I think it's like a good thing. Sometimes I think it's not a good thing. Um, but I stopped like tracking hours of how much I work on various things many uh, years ago, I think. I don't know the last time that I've tracked how much time I work on. So it, I it think that's normal. To... I mean, I don't I don't track how many hours I work on any of my projects, but I could give you a ballpark if I if I had to. Right. For me, I think it's a little bit hard because I, I do a lot of, you know, which you would probably, you know, I want to say task switching, right? Which which you'd probably rail against with like <laughs> with your ultimate focus stuff. <laughs> Waving my big stick at you over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's interesting also though, because like, I, I find that if I'm got one thing that I, that I tell myself I'm going to do, what I end up doing is just not using all of the time of the day to work on it, even though I said that was all I should do. Right. Like it's, I don't think it's a focus problem. I could stay focused. You know, I've got a PhD. I could spend, you know, two, three hours in a class, listening to someone lecture about action potentials or something like that, taking notes, paying attention, whatever. But like, I think it's just kind of like when I'm not being productive, I have this kind of thing of like, oh, well, let me get productive on that. And then I'll be productive on, on that. I did a few inter interviews like, God, it could be like 10 years ago now. Um, and they happen to be around creativity. And I would interview folks about their creative path and approach and opinions about creativity and stuff. And this one guy, I asked him if he experienced creative blocks. And he was like, well, yes and no, because like basically whenever I get blocked on one creative thing, I just switch to another creative thing. And then, you know, so I'm never really blocked where I'm just sitting there, you know, ripping my hair out, like wishing that I could get make progress on something and make progress on one thing. And then I switch to another thing, make progress on that. Long story short, I'm not sure how much I'm spending on that. But I do know how much, you know, the Saturday event takes me at least an hour because it's an hour long, you know, <laughs> any one of these podcasts takes at least an hour because they're usually an hour or two long of, of time. And so, and then outside of that, I don't know, I'm probably doing what, I don't know, 10,000 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So you squirmed away from my questioning. I'm just going to give you <laughs> 60 hours. How many hours? What was I, what's your, how do you see it? Like how many hours do you work a week? How many hours do you spend on something? How many hours? So I, my working hours are typically seven to five of which I'm not working the entire time for sure. That yeah. includes like preparing. I, I make a giant salad every day, which takes at least you know, half an hour to make and eat and take the dogs for a walk, all that kind of stuff. So if I'm breaking it down into actual productive time spent working, it probably is in the order of four hours per weekday. Mm. So I would guess, you know, 20 hours per week, total time, productive working. And then there's some overhead of, you know, answering emails, which if I include that, maybe that's an extra hour. So 25 hours a week, let's call it that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you and I are interesting. I mean, I, I think we totally ascribe to some of the same principles of like, make your work efficient. Uh, when you sit down to do something, put some time into it of an hour or two so that you can really focus and get it done. Like productive work is valuable. Focused work is valuable. Productive work. That goes without saying. But focused work is valuable. And that 
focus over a longer period can sometimes be more productive. But at the same time, I think we have different approaches at the moment. You know, I definitely, there's been a time in my life where I did track my hours and there's been a time in my life where I, I think I don't make too big of a deal of it because it just makes, I think the energy of it is not really worth it. But sometimes I do get upset at Tim Ferriss and I feel like this whole four hour work week thing, I think it's kind of messed with a lot of people's lives because they then set this goal of working for four hours a week you know? Yeah. And that's plagued him ever since that title has come out. Right. And he, he certainly works more than four hours a week. Yeah. He, he it's kind not... of, it's a weird thing. Cause it, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. There's a couple of things that, that I see in sort of business guru, productivity guru world that sometimes I just wonder, Oh my God, like this person's just built a whole brand on a myth. And so like, for example, I don't know Tim Ferriss and you know, I'm sure I would like to, but I guess I might be burning a little bit of a bridge if this, <laughs> I, I saw him, I saw him give uh, Gary V like the evil eye in a one-on-one -on -one and like make Gary V like say that he like takes, you know, cause I think Gary V will say like the four hour work is like bullshit. You know, G Gary V is kind of like this, you, you gotta hustle, you gotta work. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you gotta put the time and energy into it. And so uh, there was this one, there was like a one-on-one -on -one interview between Gary V who wanted, I guess, Tim Ferriss to be in his show or on his thing. And you could tell there's like this tension between them. And basically Tim Ferriss is like trying to force Gary V to like apologize for kind of making fun of the four hour work week concept, which to be honest, I think, I don't know. I kind of think it makes like Tim Ferriss look kind of, like kind of a jerk because you know, he's intimidating him into saying something that he probably doesn't really believe. Anyways, point being. One thing I wanted to say about that too, though, is yeah. as much as Tim Ferriss's work has been caricatured into, you only need to work four hours. Yeah. I mean, somewhat deservedly so by the title of the book, Gary V goes the complete other direction of hustle nonstop all the time. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's his stick is, exactly. is complete opposite. And I, I mean, maybe he is doing that. I certainly don't think that you can be productive uh, working at that level with 120 hours a week in any job that you're at. Your right. productivity definitely drops off. So right. uh, he's selling a myth the other way. Yeah, I think so. There's a couple of things. So the two things that I was going to mention is the four-hour work week and this, uh, this thing that came, I believe it originated from the e-myth uh, by Michael Gerber, and it was working on your business, not in your business. And basically, sometimes they just feel like universal recipes to, to have you feel self-critical about where you're at with your business and your projects. So it's like, well, if you're not only working four hours, then you need my help. <laughs> you know, I, I can really, you could really use my advice and my feedback because if you ever reach that four hours a week thing, then, you know. I, I don't know how many people actually take it that seriously, though. I, I don't know anyone who is aspiring to only work four hours a week in their Oh, I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly been in that case where it felt like, you know, based on the premise of that, of the book that if I couldn't achieve that, that I wasn't achieving, Oh, this, that's easy to do. Like you, here's the simple step-by-step yeah. process. To that do. never appealed to me. I can't imagine. I mean, look at da Dane Maxwell. He's, we both know Dane Maxwell. He's a good example yeah. of someone who sells kind of like, Hey, look, I, I go on meditation retreats and I play my music and I have a business that runs itself, you know? 
If you want to start your own podcast, head over to transistor.fm slash run and get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting. Dane works really hard though as well. well I guarantee so, he works well, way harder but, than four hours a week. Right. But that, this is what I'm trying to communicate is in the, in the marketing, yeah, people are on beaches. And then you don't even know how much time and energy and resources they put into making that picture of themselves on the beach. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess what I, what I have landed on is 25 hours per week of work is maybe not as low as I'd ever want to go, but it gives you plenty of time to do what you want to do during the week outside of that. If I wanted to take a three mile long hike with my dog through the woods, I could certainly do that multiple times a week for working 25 hours. There's not much benefit. I don't want to be sitting around doing nothing. That's, you know, being functionally retired. I would go bored doing that. So, yeah. And my, my solution is I don't think of work hours. I just think I'd like to, to create a life where I can do all the things that I would want to do within the laws of physics. Do you know what I mean? Like, so like, <laughs> I didn't know what category you're going to put within the laws of Mars, <laughs> you're just as likely to say. I was going to either say the laws of gravity, but that's yeah. very limited. I don't, I, there's more laws beyond that. And then I was going to just say the laws of the universe. Yeah. Like a really good example uh, of something that I cannot in all honestly, gosh, there's a lot of stuff to say on this. We're clearly going down a rabbit hole, but why not? First of all, when I was getting my PhD, part of the reason it was appealing for me to become a researcher, to become a scientist was I was like, yeah, this doesn't really work. Like I, my ideal before that was like, what if I could get paid to read books? Cause I love reading books and like, you know, do research or whatever. Right. And I was do I was doing the PhD and, you know, feeling like, oh, I got to go to work. And I was like, wait a second, I'm getting paid. Cause I was on a stipend. I was getting paid to basically do what I said I want to do is just like do research and explore interesting things, you know, and you know, there's some hard things that are involved in it. But, and, and I remember even one day, like uh, I was having like a little bit of a conflict with my advisor and he was like, this is not work. <laughs> He's like, this is not work. <laughs> and he was just kind of like trying to be like, you are not working. So anyways, the other thing that I was getting to is for the, for the NFT podcast project. Uh, I paid a visit to Los Angeles. And as part of it, I was on a panel where a panel where we were interviewing people. And then we got to use that content for the podcast. But it was like at a, a, like a Beverly Hills mansion that so I don't I really still don't know the truth on this, but it could have been P. Diddy's house that it was for sale, basically, right. So anyone who wants to come up and say, Hey, you were you but we were working for those four hours when you were like on a bus going to a party and you know mingling with people and like I mean in some senses I was working and in some senses that was like just fun, you know? So I don't know what to say about it. And it and so it I sounds like you're averse to the term work itself. Oh, that, definitely that's fundamentally definitely. where the issue is. Here. I would say I like GSD, getting shit done. So yeah. let, let me just get shit done. And if that's the case, then I would say I'm doing it 24 seven and, but in, not in a way where it's like wearing me down, you know? Yeah. 
what you highlighted brings up a myth that uh, a lot of people starting out, the advice that they get is do something you love and you'll never work a day of your life. I think in general, that's bullshit, especially for people starting out, but you may be able to get to a point in your career. Both of us are, have been working or GSD for over 10 years. And at some point you're able to craft your work in such a way where you've are doing mainly the things that are just enjoyable to you. That's not to say that it would be enjoyable for others. For a lot of people sitting on a panel for four hours would be torture. And that'd be something that they would have to do as part of their, their role as CEO of this company. Right, right. Yeah. And for that particular you know, panel that did the actual panel only lasted like a half hour, but yeah, we had to do some research and, and, and you know, some, you're talking to people that are, you know, you want to build business relationships with, so you got to like, be careful what you say and how you interact with them and, and those things. And depending on how stressful you find that or how out of your element you are with the information you need to know and the skills that you need to have to like engage on that level, then you know, it can either seem really stressful or really fun. Who knows? You know, so that's a perfect segue into something that I'm exploring as a second career angel investing. You and I have talked about this a little bit, and there's one deal that I'm, um, I've already signed the dotted line on it since, uh, since we talked last, um, to invest with How Live, which is, uh, Yane Tamamint's company. He was a previous podcast guest, and we love the idea. The first time that it was brought up back by Chris Mead, I believe, we invited Yane to talk about their their product, how live and how things have been going for them, because it is essentially what we did. He had listened to our original episode and, and uh, said, hey, this is what I'm doing. So we got to hear from him how accurate we were in our predictions. Turns out we were pretty good with our predictions. And yeah, I still love the idea. So I, I put some money into it, put my money where my mouth is. Nice. Yeah, that's congratulations. So that's your first in, uh, sort of independent angel investment. First angel investment. Yeah. And I bring this up. So to just to complete the segue here, because doing that sort of research, the financial research and thinking about the company, what's going to be big in, in, you know, over the next 20 years, that is fun for me. That's what I would be doing. That is what I do in my free time, just thinking right. about, about that sort of stuff. That's part of the right. reason I think I find the podcast is fun is just thinking about how the world could be and how entrepreneurs can make that happen. That's, that's uh, exciting to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if I start spending a lot of time in angel investing and this sort of work can be extremely lucrative, I have to figure out one, I mean, it's not guaranteed that I'll be successful at it much less super successful. But if I were successful at it, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I spent all my time angel investing and made a ton of money doing that, how would I feel about the amount of time that I'm spending in and how I'm spending my working time? I think I would feel bad about it. Right now, I feel bad if I don't get those four or five hours of solid work in per day. I just like, I, I feel icky <laughs> and at the end of the night earlier this week, I had to, I told my wife, I'm going to work tonight just because I feel like I didn't get a lot done. And I don't know. So I'm curious what that's going to feel like if it just tap dancing to work is a phrase that comes to mind from Warren Buffett, I believe his book. Yeah. I mean, just to go back on the topic, 
I think my general of, of like work versus play or fun or, you know, you never work another day in your life. I think like you choose something that you love, you do it, but don't think that you're going to continue to love it if you don't push yourself a certain percentage of the time to a point where it sometimes feels like it's not fun and that you don't love it because you know, it, it just makes me think about fitness or running or like, you know, yeah, okay, I can run a mile. But if I, all I ever do is run a mile and I just run a mile each day, it's like, okay, cool. I can run a mile. That's fun. Like, oh, what if you could run two or what if you can run three? Or, you know, I definitely heard, you know, that there's almost um, like a percentage or or like a, like a nearness to your limit of capacity that you want to operate in order to actually feel fulfilled. And I always think of fulfillment real, really as the ultimate goal here. Nobody's fulfilled by money alone. Nobody's fulfilled by work alone. Nobody's fulfilled by family alone. Like it's, there's kind of like a good mix and it's, it's unique to each person, how they're going to feel fulfilled. Yeah, that makes sense. That reminds me of Cal Newport's heuristic of number of deep hours, deep work hours. That's what he tracks. He doesn't track total time worked, but deep work. Not, uh, not the shallow stuff. And he'll just have a tally every day. He might get two deep work hours in a day. And that's, that's really all that you need to move things forward. And that's typically, as you said, at the edge of your comfort zone and pushing yourself forward. Let's go back to angel investing here. One thing that you had asked me about this investment is, is if there were any any things that I was concerned with? What are some of the, the hard questions that mm. I asked of Yane and Gino, who's the CEO? And one of the things that I brought up is, is how long it's taken them to hit a significant amount of revenue. The idea, they brought this up in 2017. It's 2021. The pandemic was potentially, could have been a, a big time for them to have this service available right? When bars are shut down to be able to have live streaming of music venues. That's the, that's the idea, by the way, who didn't explicitly state that. And yeah, it's taken them a little bit of time to, to ramp up. I think part of that is because, uh, because of the pandemic itself, people are trimming budgets, but you know, they, they had a decent answer around that, around they were working on other projects to start. They're just starting to pick up now. Now they need the money to actually install the equipment in each of these different venues. And that's part of what they're looking to do in getting angel investing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a big swing. We'll see how it goes. Um, so, I am, so how, what made you think that this would be good versus other opportunities? Did you have another methodology of looking for other opportunities? This just happened to be kind of what the first major one that piqued your interest that you also felt you had access to. Like, how did you measure this against what else might be on the table? Yeah, that's a really good question. I prepared for this by following Jason Calacanis's method. He offers this program called Angel University. He does it twice a year. And I went through, it's a workshop. It takes you from not having done any angel deals whatsoever to ostensibly knowing what you need to know to start investing. I didn't follow all the rules in there, but one that I did follow is to make your bet size much smaller. I was originally thinking I was going to invest about 5X what I ultimately invested with uh, How Live, and that really de-risked it. I think that it will allow me to learn a lot more. So to answer your question, how did I select those guys? I made the bet small enough that if it doesn't work out, 
it's not going to be that big of a deal. Um, but did you have alternates that you would have made that small bet on? Like, you know, I think you even said Jason Calacanis, maybe he even has like a, a library of potential businesses you can invest in. Maybe you looked at a few of those and you're like, oh, those look good, but I like this one better. Like for me, in terms of making investments, I haven't made an angel investment per se, uh, I don't think, but if the opportunity seemed appropriate, right? Like, like it was just within my purview, right? Like maybe, you know, sometimes people raise friends and family rounds and things like that, right? Somebody that I knew that I trusted, or I had some friends that were also investing and just sort of happened to be around. I might be, oh yeah, like I if this is going to be my first, um, then I'll do this because I feel comfortable. I know what's going on to a certain degree. So that, I guess I'm getting at that. Like, is that more the bent here that it was just kind of like accessible and approachable you understood or were you comparing it against these other options you said no this is the one really putting me on the spot here oh you um, can we can stop talking about it no too. no no <laughs> I, I, I don't mind I, I don't mind i think it's an interesting question i um definitely a lot of the former where it's accessible where i love the idea oftentimes ideas that come from non-traditional startup places they're not located in Silicon Valley. They're, they were uh, formed in Europe. So they are more overlooked. And this is just a very naive hypothesis. Sure, it's not even that, uh, that unique of a hypothesis. But yeah, so that, that's all part of it. And then the second part of comparing it to other potential deals around. Yeah, Jason Calacanis has a syndicate, which I'm getting the uh, access to the deals uh, via that. There is one that has come through from there that I'm planning to invest in. I've committed to investing the same amount that I'm doing with How Life. So, got it. If so that did, gives you an idea, you, did work, you were looking at other ones, and you actually I am had looking at other ones. And one, it wasn't like either or. It's kind of like yeah, and type of thing. I'm planning to do five or six a year. A year is uh, is my goal, and this year probably not going to do. I I would not want to do that many, given that it's. You know, more than halfway through and going to have a baby and all that stuff. But if I do two or three deals this year, then, then great. And I'm viewing that partially as uh, I think Tim Ferriss talked about this when he got into angel investing, it's his MBA of sorts. It's a, it's part of the learning curve. I'm going to take my best guess. I'm going to try and learn. Uh, I'm going to try and learn as much as I can upfront, but then I'm, you just got to get into it and see what happens. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my approach with a lot of stuff. Just get your hands dirty I'm actually training someone. Uh, so I have this piano tuning business in New York City, and you know, there's some there's people come. They work usually tend to work for a few years, and then maybe they move on to something else. I get new people. Part of it is like a training process. So we have people that are less experienced. We welcome them on the team. We actually charge a little bit less for them. The customer wins out a little bit because they can save money, and the technician wins out because they can get some experience on the job. Um, so I have somebody new on the team and I mentioned some, a similar concept today. What I noticed in the, because I've been in multiple domains, I feel like I've got a little bit of a, like a, a perception of a system of a learning process, you know, and, and when you get into different domains and one of them is like you get into something and it's all going to seem unfamiliar at first, like everything's going to be like really foreign. And sometimes the instincts there are. Sometimes instincts to reject parts of it, like, no, that's BS, right? I don't know what you're talking about, but it's just some lingo or some facet that makes sense in this world, but maybe doesn't make sense in a different world, right? And another thing is to say, 
oh, well, this is too advanced for me. I need to focus on the basics. And my advice, um, and you know, some people, it depends on how far you want to go. As I take it a little bit more extreme, is to go ahead and jump in to the more advanced things and be willing to not understand any of it with the mind of the more you get exposure to it, then you actually learn what's going on. And my best example of, um, my, or maybe my most fun or my go-to example with this is when I was trying to learn about neuroscience, I was in, in, uh, in Chicago and I talked to somebody at the University of Chicago, um, a very nice woman um, who was running the department, the neuroscience department there at the, at the time, her name's Peggy Mason. And uh, I said, hey, can I come in here? Can I participate in any way? I wanna get my, my, my feet wet, my hands dirty, however you wanna put it. Well, she said, well, we have a weekly neuroscience seminar. You're welcome to come join us. Um, you know, there's just a sign-in sheet just to make sure that you're allowed in the building and come in and there's cookies and coffee and you could watch the lectures. And so I, got, I was just obsessed with that. I was like, oh, this is what an awesome opportunity. University of Chicago, super smart people attending this lecture. I, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm allowed to be here. And what I did was I took notes every at every lecture. I had this little notebook and I would write down what they said. And my goal was just write down what they said, even if I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> and I even had some skepticism because I was so outside of the space. This is all, this could all just be BS. They just made up vocabulary words to make themselves sound smart. I don't know. <laughs> so I just write stuff down phonetically. You know, I wouldn't even know how to spell it. Sometimes these people would have a lot of like great scientists come from other countries. So they'd have some weird accent I'd have to be dealing with. So I, I had this book of notes and I didn't even know what I was writing, but I had this book of notes. So fast forward like two or three years, I actually get into a neuroscience program, PhD program. I get into a class where I actually can sit down with a textbook and a teacher you know, take tests, like really solidify that I actually know what's going on. And I had been involved in the actual official academic scene of it for like three years or something. I don't know, maybe two or three years. And I found this old notebook that I had, that I had took notes in <laughs> and I started to flip through it. And I was like, this actually makes sense to me. Like the notes that I took make sense to me, even though they didn't make sense at the time. I was just writing what they said phonetically. It was a pretty amazing experience. So anyways, that's that's how I think about like what you're talking about is if you don't understand a domain, like totally not being afraid to jump in and just start trying to do something, even if it all feels very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that works out well. Oftentimes it's hard to do when it flies in the face of, of advice from people who have been there before. Like one of the piece of advice from Jason Calacanis's group is to just look at your first, look at 50 deals before you invest in any, anything. Mm, right. And that does sound like good advice. And I just chose not to take it. <laughs> so what we'll see need I mean, to look at, like to like, look over the terms to like, yeah, they, they often the have presentations. They often have uh, God, yeah. It. like a video call where you can watch a 30 minute presentation right. from listen to the pitches, right? It, right. Like, right. Hear right. the pitch. But uh, yeah, maybe it's hubris and I'm fully prepared. I know most deals go to zero. Like it's an average. 80%. It's, a, it's a numbers game. Yeah, it is a numbers game. You're looking for four or five that are going to 100 to 1,000x out of mm -hmm. 25 deals that I'm trying right. to do. That's right. the you know that's the goal. And yeah, we'll see. Nice.
Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the state of the podcast here. We're we're running into we're nearing an hour, and mm, we've mostly been... talked about what does it mean to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is fun for us to nerd out about, but uh, we're really excited about the future of the podcast. So we've done a hundred episodes, pretty much universally gotten good feedback from guests who have been super excited about the concept of the show, love having a chance to share new ideas. Uh, so that's been really fulfilling. One thing that we are thinking about doing in the future that we're planning to do going forward is a 10 episode series focused on environmental ideas. Ethan and I, it's no surprise to the listener that we are both consider ourselves to be environmentalists. Ethan, you had a long project. Uh, I don't know how long it was actually, but a project with composting, um, which you did in New York. Yeah. And I've been a long time environmental advocate. That's part of the reason that I quit my chemical engineering job is to work on environmental and sustainable uh, businesses to help them with their marketing. Anyway, the IPCC Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released their report, which they do every several years. And um, it's not looking good for humanity, <laughs> for the world, in terms of um, being able to stay under the 1.5 degrees Celsius target, which would minimize the worst effects of climate change. And thinking about what we can do as uh, little old us on the Run With It podcast is talk about environmental ideas. So that's going to be our focus. We're going to do a 10 episode series on ideas that people can start in uh, the environmental space, things that are going to be better for the planet. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be, I think it's a good idea and who knows, we might extend it further if it's, if it's useful, we find it at, uh, and listeners respond or, or, or if we enjoy it, having been in the space and you've been in the space too, I think one of the recurring themes that fits in really well with what our podcast does is like, is this actually a good idea or does this just sound good? <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, I wish I could play this onion. There's like an onion video skit or something where they do these spoofs on Ted talks, you know, and this guy does a Ted talk and he's like, what if there was a car, you know, that ran on garbage, you know, and the audience is all like clapping. And he just, you know, gives this long speech about what if this amazing, it just creates this imaginary world where his amazing idea is going to save the world. I, I actually feel like maybe it's getting a little bit better since maybe the 10 years ago where I was doing my project in the space, but it's still like people are, people are both leveraging the feel good aspect of it and blinded by the feel good aspect of it. Um, and just don't come up with terrible business ideas. And I think one thing that we could bring to bring to the equation is like, okay, yeah, but let's talk about this. Like, let's talk about, is it a good business idea? Let's talk about how you would get it started. Um, and I think that could be a valuable, a valuable resource for folks who are really, you know, honestly optimistic about what can be done, want to do something, but also don't want to get stuck doing something that that sounded good, but didn't actually pan out. I think the biggest risk that happens with this is people get too idealistic. And they think about, they try and tackle a much larger problem than is actually available for any one person to do, right? Electric mobility in itself is a massive problem and it needs someone like Elon Musk to reform the transportation sector to actually get electric cars out there. There are tons of companies who have tried to do this and, and have failed. Uh, 
so if someone comes back with an idea of like, yeah, we're going to convert all of the garbage everywhere to usable energy, um, without having done some of the research about some of the existing efforts to do that, then I, I think that those are the type of ideas that we're going to have to punt on or ask, ask folks to refine. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that, that hopefully will attract when we do these episodes too, is people who have had success in the space, right? Like yeah. have had success with an environmentally friendly project, because um, there's a difference between just, you know, somebody who maybe they're already an entrepreneur, but not in that space. Maybe that's one step better, right? But but also just like people who aren't an entrepreneur at all and are just pie in the sky thinking about stuff. Hey, wouldn't it be cool? Um, I think- I Well, think we've be... stayed away from that because we uh, part of the goal of the yeah, show we have... is to get people- Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's why I think we can, we can maybe bring something special to it. But specifically, if we get people who've been successful inside that space, I think that's also going to be helpful towards- you know, coming up with ideas and paths towards achieving those ideas that are that are actually practical, realistic and 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 doable. You know, the, the one thing I wanted to just go back to when it came to environmentalism and, you know, ide idealism and big ideas. And I think that there there always has to be a space for people to have these creative ideas and at least try them. The best way to find out whether something well, not the best way. You could do the math <laughs> sometimes, and it's probably the best way. But sometimes <laughs> an unpursued way of finding out whether something feasible, feasible or not, or how it's going to be feasible, is to just go in and try it. And that's when you find out if it can't be done the way you thought it could, maybe it could be done this way. And so let me alter this and change this and go here until we actually come upon something that works. Yeah, I think that that opportunity is especially salient now when it comes to a construction type projects or building, especially with a big infrastructure plan. This is very U S focused, uh, but the U S infrastructure plan, there's going to be about $4 trillion being spent on infrastructure. There are a lot of boomers that have been in these businesses and are retiring and there's an opportunity for people to come in and either start new ones or buy existing ones. And, update them to the modern times. I think that's probably the easiest way to do what you're saying of just get your hands dirty because it's already a proven business. And if you can take something that's proven and just improve upon it in some ways, bring it up to this, bring it up to the times, you can uh, actually do really well. Yeah. Well, and, and that's also just, that's a, a bit of a recurring theme on the show um, that reminds me of, you know, just about boring businesses being some of the best ideas. Uh, in terms of making money. And I was reminded of it this morning. I was driving behind a truck and I'll make up the name because I don't remember the exact name, but it literally said Smith Tube Company. <laughs> Just like <laughs> they make tubes. You know what I mean? Somebody's got to make tubes, yep. <laughs> be their pipes or I don't know, duct work, maybe all, all and everything. Right. But I, I, I think that's an interesting approach. And just say, hey, like, I need to make some money. I need to do my part to participate in the workings of society so I can get some back. What if I did something that nobody else wants to do because it sounds so terribly boring? I'm going to start a tube company. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, uh, that's the way to go. So, yeah, we're going to have a 10-part series about tube companies going forward <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> next year. All right. I think we're we're over time here. To the listener, 
really appreciate you sticking with us for a hundred episodes here. We, uh, welcome any feedback that you have for things that you're interested in, things that you'd like to hear more about. If you have some ideas, feel free to send them over to us. Anything that you think that we can do to make the show better, we'd love to hear it. I don't want to hear it, but that's, I'm going to hurt my feelings. Send it directly to Chris at runwithit.com. <laughs> now you give it away my secret email address. It's so hard to guess. <laughs> it's update at runwithit.fm. If you got any positive feedback, send it to Ethan at update.runwithit. No, that's what is it? Work. Update at runwithit.fm. If you got any yeah. criticism, send it to Chris. There you go. <laughs> Looking forward to another 100 episodes with you. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.